It's a joy and a privilege to be with you once again today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity once again to minister the word to you. I also bring you greetings from the congregation of First Scots in Beaufort. We pray for you, and we've been very much in prayer for you during your pastor search, and uh, we trust that the Lord will be gracious and merciful to you in that. I invite you now to turn in your copy of God's Word, in your Bibles, to Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We're in chapter 13, and we're going to pick up where we left off when I was last with you, which brings us to verse 8, and we'll just be looking at three verses today. Romans 8, excuse me, 13, verses 8 through 10. And let's give careful attention to this, because this is the very word of God. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that's the reading of God's word. Let's ask him now to bless his word to us. Father in heaven, our prayer now is that as the word is proclaimed, that your Holy Spirit will be present and active among us, and that the word would go forth, not in word only, but also in power, to strengthen your people, to build up the saints, and also to draw people to yourself, to transform lives, to take away hearts of stone and to give hearts of flesh. And so we're praying in faith that you will do all these things in our midst and uh, throughout the earth today, wherever your word is being preached. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a good thing, isn't it, to to be free of debt? You know that the Proverbs have a lot to say about debt and borrower being... Uh, servant to the lender and so forth, but being debt-free has a lot of different aspects, if you think about it. Um, You know the uh, Christian uh, radio host, Dave Ramsey, and how he works to help people get out of debt, you know, and if you apply all the steps that Mr. Ramsey uh, prescribes, then you're able to get out of debt. You can call his show, and on the air you can scream, we're debt-free, right? You've heard it. Um, so debt-free can mean you don't have any outstanding loans, it can, and, and then you've, you've paid off all of your credit card bills, and maybe even you've reached that status symbol of having the, paid off your, your mortgage on your home. But then there's these ongoing obligations that we have, right? For example, if you enjoy the the blessing of having running water in your house, you have to pay that water bill every month, don't you? And that's an ongoing debt, an ongoing obligation. And uh, just like most of you, I this month have paid my water bill, I've paid my electric bill, paid my uh, bill to the internet service provider and you know a few other things, maybe your, um, your cell phone provider. So we have these things that are ongoing. Now, <clears throat> in the text we looked at last time I was with you, Verse 7, that passage ended with these words, 
pay to all what is owed to them. So it's speaking about different kinds of ongoing obligations. You're to pay taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and it goes on. And then we come to verse 8, and it says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Now, when it says, Oh, no one anything there, it means keep up with your obligations. Don't let there be any outstanding ones. And what these few verses we'll be looking at this morning teach us is that in order to fulfill God's law, man must love his neighbor. That's an ongoing debt that we have. In order to fulfill God's law, each one of us must love our neighbor. That's the way to be debt-free, is to keep up with that obligation. I want to look at this under three points. First of all, I want to point out to you that um, love summarizes God's law. If you take all of God's law and distill it down to its essence, its most basic precepts, it's love. Love summarizes God's law. Secondly, all people are obligated to love their neighbor. All people are obligated to love one another. And then thirdly, all people fall short of that obligation. So let's consider first, love summarizes God's law. The text says, owe no one anything. In other words, let there be no outstanding past due debt to others. Keep short accounts, as we sometimes say, right? And um, we, we, can, we can apply that in a financial sense. And so you take a verse like Proverbs 22, verse 7, where it speaks of the borrower borrower being the servant to the lender. Um, And the principle there is uh, you need to avoid becoming enslaved through monetary debt. But this applies in in the exact same way to all of our human obligations. And so usually when you hear that expression, keep short accounts, a lot of times it's referring to our relationship with God. You know, if you've done something and you know God is displeased with it, go to him right away. Don't don't sit on it. Don't keep silence the way David did. You know, he wrote in the Psalms about when he had sinned against God, but he kept silence. Then uh, he, was, uh, he began to experience all kinds of difficulty. And he had, he, was all, he had it pent up inside of him. And then finally he had to go to God and confess his sins. And that's when he found liberty. That's when he found peace. And we need to keep short accounts with one another. If you know you've done or said something that was hurtful to someone else, Don't just let it blow over and assume they'll forget. Go to them and apologize. Keep short accounts. What sort of things, if we're talking about debts that we owe to our neighbor, what sort of things do we owe to our fellow man, fellow woman? Well, we saw some examples of those things in Romans 13, verse 7. Taxes, revenue, respect, honor. So when we get to verse 8 and it says, oh, no one anything, it means to keep on rendering those things that you do owe. Let there be no outstanding debt is the way it's put in the NIV. That's a good way of translating that idea. Um, The only outstanding debt that we're supposed to keep carrying over, according to God's word, is the debt to love one another. 
That one never goes away. Love one another is a continuing debt. Why? Because it's God's law. He commands it. It is what he would have us do every day. And Jesus gives this command. He doesn't... I'm sure most of you have read the Gospels. You've read all of them. Maybe you've read them multiple times. And so you can probably affirm for me the fact that Jesus didn't go about making recommendations, did he? He didn't go about offering suggestions and good advice. Jesus uttered commands. And one of his commands was that we love one another. If you'd like to turn to John chapter 13, you may. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And if you skip ahead to John 15 and look at verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's what Jesus commands. And the apostles taught the same thing, which shouldn't be any surprise to us. Because Jesus told his apostles, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind, it will bring to your memory everything that I've taught you. And so then when you read Romans, or when you read First and Second Thessalonians, or read First and Second Peter, what you're reading is the teaching of Christ as it's recalled for us and spoken and written and recorded by his apostles. And so in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul writes, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That's Paul again. But let's hear the testimony of the Apostle John. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's a perpetual obligation. Uh, The commentator Matthew Poole wrote this. Only there is one debt you can never fully discharge, that you must be ever paying and yet ever owing, and that is love. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law, it says in verse 8 of our text. And so... Love summarizes God's law. Love does not replace God's law. No, love is the sum of it. His law is love. That's what I titled the sermon. There's a song that we hear uh, every year around Christmas time, O Holy Night. And one of the lines in one of the verses of the song, O Holy Night, is his law is love. And his gospel is peace. And that's true. It always has been. God's law is love. That's how we could sum it up. To keep God's commandments is what it means to love. And clarity about how to love others comes from the study of God's commandment. How do I love my neighbor? Well, look to the commandments. That's how. God's commandments clarify love and love summarizes commandments. So love summarizes 
God's law. Well, the second point is then that all people are obligated to love one another. We're all God's creatures. We're all made in his image. We all are under his rule. And so we are obligated to keep his commandments. God's moral law, I want you to think about this. Because you know, we in the Reformed tradition, um, not everyone holds to this view of God's law. But in the Reformed tradition, we hold that God's moral law is binding on all human beings. Not just people who profess one religion or other. Regardless of a person's nationality, regardless of a person's religion or irreligion for that matter, regardless of a person's philosophy of life, it doesn't matter. God's moral law is binding on all people. And the summary of God's moral law, God's will for man, is the Ten Commandments. That's why I think our shorter catechism is so helpful, because it really spells this out for us. It shows us that God's, the duty that God requires of man is summed up in those Ten Commandments. And in our catechism, it explains the ramifications of each one. What does each command forbid? What does each command require? And we have a summary of what is sometimes called the second table of the law in this one command, love your neighbor. Now, it is interesting that both Jesus and the Apostle John make this comment that the, the command to love your neighbor is, is a new, or love one another is a new command, when in fact it isn't really a new command. And I won't get into the... To the, to the ins and outs of that, but if you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Back in the days of Moses, right? The Israelites are in the wilderness. They haven't yet come into the promised land. And this book of Leviticus is the instruction manual for all the priestly activities and ministries and sacrifices and all the feasts that the people are to observe. And What does God say in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So love your neighbor as as yourself goes goes back at least that far, you see. And then verse 9 of our text cites some of those commandments from the second table of the law. And you understand what I mean when I say second table, right? Because there's the Ten Commandments, and the first four of those commandments deal primarily with our duty and our obligations to God, our relationship to him and how to worship him, what we owe to him. And we call that the first table of the law. And then the other six deal primarily with our human relations, our interaction with one another, how we live in society with other human beings. We call that the second table. And verse 9 of our text from Romans today cites some of the commandments. It doesn't cite all of them. It doesn't even really cite them in any particular order, it doesn't seem. It goes to the seventh commandment first, and then back to the sixth, then forward to the eighth, and it mentions the tenth, and 
And then it just sort of throws out this blanket statement. And if there's any other commandment, it's all summed up right here. Love your neighbor as yourself. John Murray wrote, This enumeration from the Ten Commandments indicates that the law which love fulfills finds its epitome in the Ten Commandments. The commandments are the norms in accordance with which love operates. Or to put it the way Paul did in Galatians 5 and verse 14, he said, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we have in our text today too. Now, love for one's neighbor is a concise statement of mutual human obligation. And on the day of judgment, which is coming, we need to be assured that the standard of judgment by which people will be judged in that day will be this. The standard of judgment will be God's law. The standard of judgment will be the Ten Commandments. We will all appear before God in the judgment. That's what we're told in Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verses 13 and 14. This is this awesome vision that John saw. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Scripture says a lot about judgment, final judgment, God's judgment over the over the earth, over the nations. His judgments are in all the earth, it says in Psalm 105, verse 7. Psalm 98, verse 9 says, He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness. So the standard of judgment that God will use is his law, his word. He won't judge the nations according to the five pillars of Islam. He won't judge the nations according to the seven virtues of Buddhism or any other standard that man creates. He will judge according to his own law. And there will be no exemptions. There will be no waivers. No excuses. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that no one will be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and claim, I didn't know. Everyone knows. And how do we know that everyone knows? Or how is it that everyone knows? It's because God's law is written on our hearts. Scripture teaches us that. And people demonstrate this. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul wrote in chapter 2, verse 15, speaking of the nation, speaking of all the people of the world, he says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their consciences also bear them witness. I like to think of it this way. The fall and the curse and sin has kind of distorted 
maybe even partially erased the law of God that was written on our hearts from creation. But I think of it in terms of, uh, you know, Ron mentioned being a teacher, being a lecturer. You know, teachers write on chalkboards, right? Or maybe now they write on whiteboards, dry erase boards. And you know that if you write something on a board and then take an eraser and erase it, if you look really carefully, you can still see what had been written there, can't you? Especially depending on how clean or, or whatever the board is. Interestingly, I haven't worked this out in terms of a sermon illustration, but the dirtier a whiteboard is, the more you can see what had been on it previously. That's the way our hearts are. God's law was perfectly impressed upon the heart of Adam. And with the fall, a lot of that was abraded, we might say, but it's still there. That's why in every culture you find, anywhere on earth, no matter how advanced or how primitive, they have some concept of marriage because the seventh commandment is written on their heart. They have some concept of the sanctity of life because the sixth commandment is written on their hearts. I could go on and on. You see the point. No one can claim ignorance before God in the day of judgment. And it is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sit in judgment over the nations. We confess that almost every Lord's Day, don't we? When we say the Apostles' Creed, he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 25. This is one of my favorite passages from the whole Gospel of Matthew. I think it's one of the most awesome passages in the New Testament, really. This is the last part of the last big section of teaching of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. And after he's taught them so, so many things, this is the last lesson. And he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and it goes on and on. No one will be absent. No one will have uh, an excuse. There won't be anybody in the back working sound. There won't be anybody working in the nursery. Everyone's going to be standing before him for judgment. It says, before him will be gathered the nations from Switzerland to Swaziland, from Norway to Nigeria. Ancient nations, modern nations, wealthy nations, impoverished nations, they'll all be there. And before Christ's tribunal, you will not be judged according to whether you feel that you are a good person. You will not be judged according to whether your good works outweighed your bad. Or if you feel it as if you lived a decent life. The measure of judgment will be this. Did you love your neighbor? That's it. And, you know, lest that uh, come across as a, a matter of relief for you. And you might be thinking, really, that's the standard? Phew, I might make it. I might be off the hook if that's all there, there is to it. If all I've got to do is love my neighbor, because you know, I kind of feel like I've sort of done that. Well, actually, no. No, you haven't. I promise you, you haven't met this standard, and you cannot meet that standard. And that's our third point. 
Because all people are obligated to love one another, but all people fall short of this obligation. Look with me once more at verse 10 of our text. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So let's give ourselves a little self-test here, okay? Question. Have you ever done harm? Have you ever done any wrong to another person? If yes, then you fail. You haven't kept the law. You're a transgressor of the law, or to put it another way, you're a sinner. Let's take some of the commandments that are mentioned here in our text. The seventh commandment, what does it say? You shall not commit adultery. And I suspect that the vast majority of this pe- people in this room today have never committed adultery, literally. But have you ever had an impure thought? Have you ever done anything that might lead to adultery or to an impure thought? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then you've broken the seventh commandment. Let's consider the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And you might think, I've never murdered. There's probably not a a murderer in the room today. So you might say, I've never committed murder, but have you ever hurt someone physically? Have you ever desired revenge? Have you ever had sinful anger of any kind? If yes, then you have broken the sixth commandment. And beyond the things that God's law forbids, it requires many things, many things that we fail to do over and over again. Verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. But whatever God's law forbids, the opposite it also requires. And vice versa. You should know that. And keep that in mind as you study God's word, as you study God's law. If God's law forbids something, then the opposite is required. And if it requires something, then the opposite is forbidden. And so, whereas the sixth commandment, for example, forbids murder, it requires that we protect life that we preserve life. The sixth commandment requires that we have charitable thoughts towards others, that we be meek and gentle towards others. The seventh commandment forbids adultery, but then it requires purity in body, mind, and affections, in our words and in our behavior. The ninth commandment forbids taking, uh, well, you know, we we think of the ninth commandment as as being against lying. But more specifically, it, it prohibits false witness. The idea of being placed under oath, such as you would be in a courtroom, and promising to tell the truth and then telling a lie. That's what the ninth commandment is really about. And of course, lying falls under that as a subcategory of false witness. But if it forbids bearing false witness, it requires promoting truth. It requires that we preserve and promote the good name of our neighbor, which is the opposite of bearing false witness against him. So, 
I know that there are some people who feel that taking the commandments and really drilling down that deep and saying, well, the sixth commandment really does forbid uh, you know, unrighteous anger and seventh commandment forbids lust. For anybody who thinks that that's trying to make the commandments say more than they say, consider the 10th commandment. What is it? You shall not covet. And it goes on to give a a representative list, but not an exhaustive list of things that we are not to covet. Now tell me, how do you covet? Is it by something you say? Is it by something you do with your hand or your foot? You covet in here. You covet in here. It's a sin of the inner man. And it shows that all of God's law is spiritual. He's not just concerned with outward behavior. He's concerned with the heart. And his law goes there. And so, when this kind of stuff begins to weigh on us, and we begin to see the depth and the, the breadth of the law of God, it makes us a little... Anxious, doesn't it? Because we realize we're guilty. And so what we want to do then is the same kind of thing that the woman at the well that Jesus spoke to did. You know, she kind of tried to change the subject. You know, when he said, uh, when he said to her, go get your husband, and she says, I have no husband, he says, well, that's true. And he says, because you've had five husbands and the one you have now isn't your husband. And she realizes, This man knows everything there is to know about me. And so, what does she do? She uses diversion. Hey, well, what about worship? You know, you Jews say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We worship here on this mountain. Who's right? But the diversions never work, right? Um, We've been talking all about the second table of the law. And if we're getting squeamish about the fact that our guilt is obviously stacking up in our minds, we might say, well, what about the first table? You know, change the subject. Let's talk about something else. Here's the thing about the first table. The first table is all about love for God. And that's not in our text, is it? But it doesn't have to be. Why? Because of what John wrote in 1 John 4.20. Think about this, brothers and sisters. It says, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So, if you failed at the second table of the law, then the first table of the law is just kind of formality. If you can't keep that second table, you, can't, you certainly haven't kept the first. So, in other words, none of us measures up to the righteous requirement of God's law. That's the message here. All people fall short of the obligation to love one another. Now, why is it that we have to understand this? Why is it that even though it's not a happy thing to hear, why do we need to hear it? Because human beings in their fallen state have this irrepressible drive to justify themselves. And God's law simply will not allow us to do it. 
He comes with his word. He comes with his law to remind us that we fall short, that we've broken his commandments. Turn with me to Luke's gospel, please, as we bring this to a close. Mankind wants so desperately to justify himself. We see an example of it in Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now this man's heart is already telling him, I haven't done this. But in verse 29 it says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And as you know, Jesus responded with the parable of the good Samaritan. But who is my neighbor is the wrong question. The right question is, I can't measure up. Now what? What do I do? What hope is there? What now? Well, now. Now you need the gospel. If you've come to realize, I don't measure up. I can't meet this standard then what you need is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, I cited that song, that Christmas song, His Law is Love. That's the title of the sermon. The next line is, His gospel is peace. And so for those who are convicted over their sins, and realize that they're guilty before God, Jesus comes with the balm and the peace of the gospel. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, he cautioned his hearers, don't think that I came to abolish the law. But then what does he say? I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. All those things that not one of you nor I could ever have done, all that law that we are unable to keep, Jesus kept. He obeyed perfectly. He lived a perfect life, and that perfect life, like a beautiful garment, he offers to you. He offers you the gift of his righteousness by grace through faith. And along with that righteousness, peace with God, because you're justified, he also gives you his Holy Spirit. And when his Spirit comes and indwells you, he teaches you and he helps you daily to meet that obligation, that ongoing debt to love your neighbor. See, in here, with man, with us, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus gives us these things. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his righteousness. And then, uh, of course, we have that sin debt that we didn't have any capability to take care of on our own. But as uh, Brother Ron mentioned uh, earlier in the service, God didn't just dismiss it. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. 
or say, well, we won't worry about that now. No, the penalty for all of your sins, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, the penalty, the whole thing, everything that your sin deserved, Jesus took in his own body on the tree when he laid down his life for the sheep, when he shed his blood. That's what we remember when we come to the table together. So now as we come to the Lord's Supper, let's be thankful. Let's come humbly and let's remember him and his death as we partake together of this ordinance. If the elders would come forward.